This is episode 286 of the AWS podcast, released on December 30th, 2018. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lisha here with you. Great to have you back, and thank you for joining me for the very last update episode of the year. This will encapsulate pretty much everything in December that took place, and hopefully there'll be something for everyone. We'll have lots more episodes in the new year, of course, and I'll be experimenting with a slightly different update format to make them a little bit shorter, but more on that later. So let's start with customer engagement. So Amazon Pinpoint is a really useful solution to create those targeted campaigns that send messages. So things like text messages, push notifications and emails to your customers. Now you can use it to create the very targeted campaigns that take specific actions within your apps. So for example, you could set up a campaign to trigger a message when a customer creates a new account or if they add an item to their cart or don't purchase it. This really helps you customize the user experience that you're trying to work towards and makes for really effective event-based campaigns versus a sort of uh, blast to everyone type message that is far less effective. There is now also a new email delivery dashboard that helps you reach your user's inbox. So one of the things you're probably aware of if you're doing anything broad-based is that not all emails get through. And often we send very important things like password reset links, order confirmations, etc. So making sure that you are really having that placement within the user's inbox is very important. What this does is gives you insight into your inbox placement rate. It allows you to see are your emails getting through. It also gives you a predictive email placement test capability so you can see will things go through. And you can also protect and manage your sender reputation and lease and monitor dedicated IP addresses, all those things that are really relevant when you're doing broad-based marketing campaigns. If you're working more in the voice space, then Amazon Connect now has some new contact API capability. This allows you to programmatically retrieve any contact attributes for a given contact. So these are key value pairs. It might be things like the name of the caller, why they called, or the quality of service they received. You can use this in your own applications or use this in an overall core flow as well. Let's look at some storage updates. So Amazon S3 Inventory is a capability that lets you see all the objects that are in your S3 buckets. So these are objects and selected metadata for your buckets or shared prefixes. It's really a useful way to list, audit and report on what's going on in all the objects in your buckets. And this is particularly useful when you have large numbers of objects. So now Apache Parquet is a selectable output format for this particular report. And this is really useful because it's a columnar storage format. What this means is it's very useful for processing at large scale. And it also lets you access the data in a columnar way, which allows some optimizations I won't go into now, but very useful if you're using Amazon Athena, Amazon Redshift Spectrum, or things like Hive, Spark, HBase, Presto, etc. Really useful for big data type applications. If, however, you're using the AWS Storage Gateway, well, guess what? There's some new capabilities and performance. There's some increased performance all the way up to 500 meg per second if you pub- follow the published best practices, which I'll link to in the show notes. You can also do a selective cache refresh to update selective and specific folders in the local file gateway. So this makes it easy to do the content distribution in geographically separated hybrid cloud environments. And you can now also specify your own DNS and NTP servers as well. So if you have uh, existing infrastructure that you want to integrate with, this makes it a lot easier for you. Let's talk networking and content delivery. So you're probably all very familiar with the concept of VPC, the virtual private cloud. Well, now these can be shared with other AWS accounts without giving those other users access to your particular account. This is really useful when an IT team needs to own and manage some 
centralized VPCs so that other people can get access to them. So it could be application developers, et cetera, but they don't have to manage or configure those VPCs. In fact, they don't even have access to them, but they can still create application resources, things like EC2 instances, RDS databases, Redshift clusters, Lambda functions, et cetera. So this really opens up a world of different use cases and lots more details in the show notes about how this works. And this is available in all commercial AWS regions except for South America, Sao Paulo, Asia Pacific, Osaka Local and the China regions. And there's no additional charges for using this feature. So check that one out. Very, very handy. Another new capability is the AWS Client VPN, which allows you to securely access AWS and on-premises resources. This is a new managed service that lets you securely access those components using open VPN-based clients. Now, it's very common that you had to run a particular setup to allow people remotely to access your information. With the AWS Client VPN, you can now provide a highly available and secure VPN access for all your employees, regardless of their location. This is a pay-as-you-go fully managed service. The usual undifferentiated heavy lifting is taken away for you. So basically you can simply have either a certificate-based or Active Directory authentication, and you can access very, very simply the infrastructure that you need to get to. Now, employees, of course, can use the device of their choice. They can use Windows, Mac, iOS, Android, and Linux. And this is currently available in US East Virginia, US East Ohio, US West Oregon, and EU Island regions. And you'll see other region support soon. So this is one to keep an eye on. There are two new AWS Direct Connect locations to share with you today. The first is in Silicon Valley. It's located at CoreSite SV2. Milpitas, I think I've said that correctly. I'm not familiar with that location, uh, which really adds uh, some geographic redundancy to your Direct Connect locations in that zone. And also in concert with the launch of the EU Stockholm region, there is now a second AWS Direct Connect location at Equinix SK1 Stockholm as well. So you can connect to those right away. There are also 10 new edge locations in North America, Europe, and Asia for Amazon CloudFront. And so this adds to the global presence and eight of the new edge locations are in North America. They're in Houston, Texas, Chicago, Illinois, Newark, New Jersey, Los Angeles, California, and Ashburn, Virginia. And there's also an edge location in Berlin, Germany, as well as one in Tokyo, Japan. Now, what this is, is a combination of new locations. So for example, in Texas, this is the first one in that city, but also increased processing capacity. Uh, From the North American city standpoint, it increases process capacity by up to 40%. So this is really useful for your customer access. Now, you would have noticed from the announcements at AWS reInvent that the Amazon API Gateway now supports WebSocket APIs. And so this is available now. There's a really useful blog post about how this can be used. And WebSocket APIs are available in all regions where API Gateway is available. So you can look that up in the region table, links again in the show notes. And this is really useful for particular web-based applications that need that ongoing two-way communication without having to set up and tear down the networking level, which tends to be quite an overhead. So these are things like uh, chats, alerts, notifications, and real-time dashboards. This uh, API gateway uh, capability now allows you to maintain a persistent connection between those connected clients, and it handles the message transfer between them. So this really makes it easy to build. So I go ahead and use it straight away. Another little network update is Amazon Route 53. It now has alias record support for API gateway and VPC endpoints as well, which will be very, very useful for optimizing how you create your DNS entries for those particular resources. Let's move on to the data space. And there's lots of database updates to share with you. 
The first one is one that's really helping customers address that migration process they often go through and moving between database engines or moving from on-premises into AWS, etc. We all know that migration can be tricky and hard, and so we want to make it easier for our customers. There is now the Workload Qualification Framework that helps you plan your workload migrations. Now, this is really useful because it generates some automated reports and it builds upon the AWS Schema Conversion Tool, which you might have seen before, which collects information to model existing Oracle and Microsoft SQL Server workloads and figure out what changes might need to be made to move it to a different platform. Are there changes to stored procedures? Are there language constructs that aren't supported in the destination database? Or will it all just work? These are questions that often you want to answer. So the Workload Qualification Framework automatically generates some reports for you. These include the workload assessment based upon the complexity, size, and technology used. It gives you recommendations on which migration strategies to use to migrate to Amazon RDS or to Amazon Aurora. It also gives you step-by-step instructions for those migrations and any actionable feedback about changes that might need to be made. And it also gives you an assessment of the migration effort required based upon the team size and member roles. This is a really interesting tool that you might want to give a go and see if it fits your environment. And speaking of migration, we now also have uh, some improvements to the AWS database migration service, I should say. And this improves speed. So we have improved migration speed when migrating large tables during full load. And this is because it can now load partitions or subpartitions in parallel. And as we know, working in parallel can often improve speed of operations. It also improves the handling of large objects or lobs. You may have heard of binary large objects blobs. Well, lobs are the superset of all these. And what this allows you to do is handle these a lot more easily and in an automated fashion. You can also now control the table load order as well. So for example, if you need uh, a particular table loaded before another table, this can now be done. So a lot more configuration. Speaking of configuration, Amazon RDS now enhances the automatic minor version upgrade process. As you know, you can allow uh, Amazon RDS to do this minor upgrade for you. And now you can easily see when a minor version upgrade is scheduled to be applied. And this is the Describe Pending Maintenance Actions API. And you can also apply it straight away. So you can call the Apply Pending Maintenance API. I should say the Apply Pending Maintenance Action API is the correct term for that. And you can apply that with just a few clicks on the console or call the API directly and it will do the update for you. You can now also get an Amazon RDS event notification when a new minor version upgrade is available for your database instance or your cluster. And this allows you to manage your environment much more easily when you have lots and lots of databases. Some great updates for those of you who are using PostgreSQL on Amazon RDS. It now supports the R5 instance type, which depending on your workload can give you up to 35% more performance when compared to the R3 or R4 instance type. We also now support publishing Postgres log files to Amazon CloudWatch logs. So this gives you even more visibility of what's going on in your environment. And the Amazon RDS Performance Insights supports countermetrics for Aurora Postgres now as well. So you can really combine all your visibility of all the performance insights that you need. Amazon RDS for Postgres also now supports minor versions 10.6, 9.6.11, 9.5.15 and 9.4.20. Lots of different capabilities and features, lots of changes there, some major releases there as well. So this is useful in terms of giving you more choice based upon what your application needs from a PostgreSQL database support level. 
Also, Amazon Aurora for PostgreSQL compatibility supports PostgreSQL 10.5, which also now allows you to use query plan management. Now, this is very, very cool if you're managing databases. This allows you to have far more control over how your queries run. Uh, you can force the optimizer to do certain things based upon known good plans. You can optimize uh, your execution plan centrally and then distribute the best plans globally. You can identify indexes that aren't used and figure out what happens if you create or drop an index. You can detect new minimum cost plans by the optimizer that the optimizer has figured out that's there. Lots and lots of stuff. I know that when you get into query plan optimization, you can spend lots and lots of time. So this is a good thing because you can also tune things really, really well. And speaking of tuning things really well, there is now some new visibility into how your Amazon DynamoDB keys are being used. What we've released is the new Amazon DynamoDB key diagnostics library. This provides you with near real-time key usage information for DynamoDB. Now this is a lightweight client-side utility that lets you analyze your table's traffic and it displays visualizations that let you see the number of reads and write to each partition key. This is really useful if you want to go deep on how your DynamoDB table is being used or if you're seeing unusual traffic patterns that you can't quite explain. It's a very nifty tool. There've also been some capacity increases for you as well. So now the number of global secondary indexes that you can create per table has gone up to 20. If you need more than 20 global secondary indexes on a table, you can request an increase as well, but the default has gone up. And you can now have 100 projected index attributes for both global secondary indexes and local secondary indexes when you specify the projection type of include. And you can still have the projection type of all, and even if the table has more than 100 attributes, you can still create those. Essentially, limits have gone up. You don't have to do anything. You just get the benefits from them. You may also remember we announced DynamoDB transactions. Well, the DynamoDB Accelerator, or DAX, is now compatible with that construct. So you can use the Transact Write Items and Transact Get Items API and get that amazing performance level you get when you use DAX. There are many, many use cases that really benefit from this technology, so it's definitely something to look at if you're using DynamoDB at scale. And finally, Amazon MQ now supports the ActiveMQ minor version 5.15.8. So if you're using this particular message broker, this gives you some additional capabilities that you may not have had before. Now it's time for us to talk about compute and there's lots going on in that space. The Amazon Elastic Container Registry or ECR now has its own dedicated management console. So if you're using that particular capability at scale, this will be a much more effective way to see and visualize all of your containers. And it also now allows repository tagging as well. So you can attach custom metadata, which of course makes it easy to organize, manage, search and allocate costs within your environment as well. It also simplifies the permissioning that you do. Another interesting change is the Amazon EC2 partition placement groups. I had to say that very, very carefully because I've got it wrong about four times. And this is a new EC2 placement strategy that helps reduce the likelihood of correlated failures for large distributed and replicated workloads. So things like HDFS, HBase, and Cassandra that are running on EC2, you clearly don't want your logical partitions to be on the same underlying hardware. And that would mean that you know, if one hardware failure takes place, you may lose a number of components. Now, partition placement groups offer visibility into the partitions and allow topology-aware applications to use this to make intelligent data replication decisions. So you can choose where things go, basically. Uh, this is available in a number of regions already and will extend to more. Uh, worth reading about in detail in the show notes, but gives you some more options if you're a heavy EC2 user and you want to avoid those correlated failure scenarios. 
AWS Auto Scaling is now available in eight more regions worldwide, and you also get predictive scaling for Amazon EC2. So this is the expansion of something we already announced, but this is now available in even more regions. And speaking of more region availability, uh, the EC2, C5D, M5D, and R5D are also available in more regions, in particular the Europe Paris and also the GovCloud US West region. But always check the infrastructure page, link in the show notes, that shows you where everything is because this is changing all the time. In fact, this month there have been lots of regional expansions that I haven't covered in the podcast because it just takes too long to cover them all. And you can look it up yourself for what's relevant to you. Another interesting update is AWS Fargate. Now, this allows uh, access to secrets. Now, what are secrets? Secrets allow you to store sensitive information like database credentials, tokens, uh, configuration variables, SSH keys, etc. Uh, now you can have direct access to the AWS Systems Manager Parameter Store APIs and access those secrets very, very effectively. Now, this is really useful capability, so something to read into if you're doing secret sharing amongst your containers. And speaking of containers, the Amazon EKS or Elastic Container Service for Kubernetes now performs managed in-place cluster upgrades for Kubernetes versions. And also we now support version 1.11.5. Now, of course, Kubernetes is rapidly evolving, so there's lots of feature releases and bug fixes. And previously to move between versions, you had to manually execute a multi-step upgrade process or create a brand new cluster and migrate your applications. These are time consuming and we just don't want to have to do that. So now you can upgrade to the latest Kubernetes version without needing to manage the upgrade process. The version updates are done in place, so you don't have to create a new application or migrate anything, and it happens for you. Now you can call the update cluster version API, or you can use the update cluster version button in the console, and you can see what's happening in the in-flight updates by calling the describe updates API. And you can also call a variety of other APIs to get that view as well. There's a great blog post about this linked in the show notes. Take a look at it. A service used by customers often when they're migrating from an existing set of infrastructure into AWS is the AWS Server Migration Service. And it now has support for multi-server migration. And this is useful if you have a collection of application nodes that need to be moved together. So for example, this could be a set of front-end web servers, application servers, database servers, etc. It can do all of the application servers within a consistent group and do it in a synchronized manner. It also generates a CloudFormation template which can be used to launch the replicated application in EC2. So this is nifty as well for that replicated component. Now this is available in North Virginia, Oregon and Ireland regions with more support coming soon, but this really increases the capability of the server migration service. Now many in the research community really love using AWS Batch because it allows them to manage workloads at scale. And tied to that is the desire to get access to the most powerful and latest and greatest compute types. So the good news is AWS Batch now supports the EC2 C5N instance, which has the 100 gig of network bandwidth. That's some good bandwidth there. And it also supports the EC2 P3DN instances as well, which has significantly more network bandwidth, again, 100 gig of bandwidth, plus access to up to eight V100 tensor core GPUs, with lots of onboard memory, this is a very powerful instance type. And continuing the theme of high-performance compute, AWS Parallel Cluster, which is a really useful tool to manage large-scale clusters, and now supports AWS Batch to allow you to use that as a job scheduler within the tool. 
It also supports Amazon Elastic File System to allow you to share storage between different nodes. And it also provides RAID array configuration support. So you can now create RAID 0 or RAID 1 for use within your cluster as well. And it really makes that EBS management much more easy to do. If, however, servers aren't your thing and you're more in the serverless space, well, there is a new SAM publish command for the AWS serverless application repository. So what you can do is you can now push your application or publish a new application version to the AWS service, serverless, I should say, application repository using the AWS serverless application model or AWS SAM CLI. So you can basically do a SAM publish command and you can either put a new version or create a new instance in that particular repository. Basically makes it easier to integrate with things. And last but by no means least in the compute space is AWS Elastic Beanstalk now has tag-based permissions, which means you can tag all your components and use IAM to manage those permissions much more easily. Some developer tool updates. AWS X-Ray, which is a great tool for seeing end-to-end -end what's going on in your environment, now adds the ability to group traces by root cause. So this lets you filter your traces and quickly determine whether it's the same error causing a whole bunch of other stuff that's going on. Anyone who's done uh, performance analysis and tried to troubleshoot knows this is kind of an important capability, so it is now there. AWS Code Pipeline now supports VPC endpoints. So many of our customers run the applications within the VPC for security or isolation regions. And now you don't need to have an internet gateway to take advantage of code pipeline. You can access it directly from within your VPC. If you're a CloudFormation user, the macros can now be used in templates with nested stacks as well. I know a lot of people were very excited to use the macro capability because it lets you do a lot of custom processing. Now you can have that support within nested stacks as well. If you're building for the voice world and in particular Amazon Alexa skills, AWS CodeStar now lets you automatically create a new Alexa skill from within your AWS account. So in the past, you had to do it in the Alexa skill console and link it in with an AWS Lambda function in your account. Uh, you'd have to do some manual registration, etc. No longer, no more. You can basically get it all done automatically with CodeStar. Also, AWS CloudFormation and AWS Code Pipeline now support Alexa skills. You can see how this all ties together. So you can take advantage of this to build skills faster and easier than ever. A quick machine learning update. Amazon Transcribe now supports speech to text in French, Italian and Brazilian Portuguese. So some additional language support that join the existing languages of US English, US Spanish, Australian English, and yes, it is different, British English and Canadian French. So more languages to take advantage of there. And speaking of language support, let's shift the cross to security, identity, and compliance. The AWS IAM console is now available in German, Portuguese, Spanish, Italian, and traditional Chinese. So hopefully that helps our global customers have even better access to what's going on in their environments. You can also now automate the analysis of your IAM permissions using the IAM Access Advisor APIs. Now, this is a great capability that lets you see who's accessing which services, who's not accessing particular services that are created, uh, which permissions are being used, which are not being, being used. This is a very common auditing thing that should be done for security compliance. And now you can call the IAM Access Advisor APIs to get that information automatically. Another thing that happens automatically is Amazon Guard Duty. And this is a tool and capability that I recommend all customers turn on automatically. It's just really important to have there because it's looking for things in your environment that you may not even know. And the good news is, is you can get a 30-day free trial of Amazon Guard Duty with a single click on the console. 
Now, there are some new capabilities. Uh, it now offers Amazon SNS notification topics, so you can know immediately when a new Amazon Guard Duty finding type is released. Uh, and that way you know what's going on and you can keep up to date without having to check things manually. An update for AWS organizations, it now supports AWS License Manager cross-account sharing capabilities. So this is a tool that makes it much easier to bring your existing licenses across to AWS and manage them from a compliance standpoint. You can now create licensing rules in your master account and attach them to resources in member accounts. And you can track the usage of licenses across all your AWS accounts centrally using a inbuilt dashboard that supports AWS organizations. So this is really useful for license compliance and other things that tend to take a lot of time, but can be quite painful to do without some form of automation. Now, hopefully you've listened to the episode where we talked about the new AWS Global Accelerator. Well, now AWS Shield adds advanced DDoS protection to the AWS Global Accelerator. So basically Shield standard by default protects the AWS Global Accelerator resources against the most common infrastructure layer DDoS attacks. But you can also activate AWS Shield Advanced and get protection against more sophisticated and larger DDoS attacks. You can get some enhanced detection and mitigation tuned to your architecture as well. And you get access 24 by 7 to the AWS DDoS response team or DRT for escalations and economic protections as well. Lots of good capabilities. It's now available to you for the AWS Global Accelerator. The AWS Systems Manager automation is a really interesting capability that lets you do things at scale. And we now have increased the amount of scale that's available. There was an existing limit of 25,000 basic steps, and this will now be increased to a free tier of 100,000 basic steps per account per month. And beyond that, it is 0.2 cents per basic step. So a basic step is an action performed in the automation workflow execution. And there's some rules around how this pricing works, but basically this allows you to do far more at scale in a more effective way. The AWS Service Catalog is a service used often in very large organizations around organizing and governing the provision of cloud resources in their environment. So it can choose uh, the creation of sort of standard templates and deployments, etc. This now integrates with AWS organizations. So you can simplify sharing these AWS Service Catalog portfolios across a number of member accounts in your organizations. So that's kind of the policy management for the policy management, and it makes it much easier to set up your catalog and have that deployed very, very quickly. And a couple of other quick uh, security improvements. AWS WAF Security Automation Solution, which is uh, published by the AWS Solutions team, has been updated to include a monitoring dashboard, so you can now see what's going on in your environment in a far more easy way. And there are now rule group exceptions for managed rules for AWS WAF as well. So this lets you override individual rules within a managed rule group. This gives you more customization so that you can opt in, opt out, Lots of detail here that I don't have time to go into for you, but think of it as giving you more control over what you want to control and where you want to control it. And AWS Firewall Manager is now available in four additional regions. So it's now available in US East Ohio, Asia Pacific Sydney, EU Frankfurt, and Asia Pacific Tokyo. So there are now seven AWS regions that you can use for this management tool. And this is basically a security management tool that lets you manage your AWS WAF administration across multiple environments and multiple regions very, very easily. And a couple of application integration updates. Amazon SQS now supports Amazon VPC endpoints using AWS Private Link. So now again, you can access your SQS queues inside your VPC. And if you're an Amazon MQ user, you can now use the network of brokers feature. Now this allows you to set up a highly available network of brokers that connects multiple message brokers across AWS availability zones and regions. 
Now, this improves message broker availability and scalability and it's really useful when you can't afford any downtime in your environment. So lots more detail about how to do this and there's even a CloudFormation template that builds this for you automatically as well. If you're doing app streaming, then AppStream 2.0 will be interesting to you and they've just now introduced some new APIs to simplify app entitlements and to allow you to deliver virtualized apps more easily. So now you can dynamically build application catalogs for your users from a single AppStream 2.0 application image or deliver virtualized apps from a third party solution. Now essentially what this is doing is reducing the number of images you have to maintain because you don't have to create an image stack or fleet for each user group. So you can imagine this really allows a lot more extendability than ever before. A couple of quick analytics updates. If you're using Amazon EMR, Elastic MapReduce release 5.20.0 now supports Spark 2.4.0 and Hue 4.3.0. So if you're working in that ecosystem, this will help. Also, there's some upgraded uh, versions of Apache Hive, Flink, HBase, MXNet, Tez, TensorFlow, and Presto. So lots of refreshments there in terms of the levels that you're running. If you're an Amazon Redshift user, it now runs vacuum delete automatically. Now you may be thinking, what are you talking about Simon, vacuum delete? Well, in the uh, MPP database space, vacuuming is a process of cleaning up rows that were marked for deletion by previous update and delete operations. This sort of technology works a little different to a traditional RDBMS. And it also defragments the tables to free up consumed space and it helps improve performance. Now, what happens now is vacuum delete is scheduled to run based on query load automatically and also based on the number of deleted rows in the tables. So for example, if you have high load, it'll only run sporadically so it doesn't impact your users or queries. Uh, whereas if it uh, sees there's a lot of space available to do stuff, it'll do it far more aggressively. Also, all vacuum operations now only run on a portion of a table at a given time running rather than running on that full table. And what this does is drastically reduce the amount of resources such as memory, CPU and disk IO required to vacuum. You can also track when it's running as well in your cluster performance tab and also through the CloudWatch metric. Let's do some updates in the IoT space. There is now AWS CloudFormation support for AWS IT analytics. So now you can create templates for data ingestion and analytical patterns. So this is really easy to deploy this at scale. The AWS IT Device Defender now has support for two new security metrics. So this is a really useful service for keeping your connected devices secure, which is really hard to do at scale. So this service tries to make it a bit easier. And it now supports two additional cloud side metrics, the number of connection attempts and number of disconnects. Now, these metrics can really help you identify fake device connections and stolen credentials. So more information is better and this can give you some really good insight into what's going on. And finally, if you're a user of Amazon Free Artos, then the MediaTek MT7697H system on a chip is now qualified to use that particular operating system. And a few other updates I wanted to share with you. Firstly, you, there is now programmatic access to AWS pricing information in China via the AWS Price List API. So this is an API that lets you see current and historical prices of AWS services, and you can get updates when those service prices change uh, using Amazon SNS. So customers in China will now also better access that information. If you work in the media space, then the media services application mapper will be a really interesting solution to you. This helps you display the logical connections between media services, visualize error messages and counts, and even produce a list of confidence-ranked root causes for problematic workflows. And this is very easy to deploy. Currently monitors the AWS Elemental Media Live, AWS Elemental Media Package, Amazon CloudFront, and Amazon Simple Storage Service Services, and 
more to come as well. Another little update is a new quick start that's available to deploy Varnish Case Plus or VCP in the AWS cloud. Does it in about 30 minutes using a template. Uh, this is a technology that I know a lot of our customers like to use, so this just makes it easier to set up and get it going. And last but not least, I know there are a lot of announcements at uh, reInvent and you're probably saying, well, how can I get across these? How can I get some training? Well, there are now 15 free digital training courses that cover these new services. Things like Comprehend Medical, uh, the Elastic Inference, Forecast, uh, FSX for Lustre, etc., etc. These are all available to you for free. They're formatted in uh, a sort of online learning construct, typically 10-minute uh, video courses that introduce you to some of these uh, concepts and go into a little bit of detail to get you going. So I hope this update has been of use of you. Again, thank you for listening through 2018. The podcast will be back bigger and better than ever in 2019. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to share that. And until next time, keep on building.